I'm constantly trying to protect the space that a woman is in so that she can get into her inner animal and be able to do what she doesn't actually have to know what to do because it'll turn on for her and she'll be able to do it if she can get out of trying to control everything. So really it goes back to this idea of not trying to control, but the control is really in the surrender. You actually have a full control of a process, if you think about it in this way, where it will unfold almost like textbook style if you just sit in the back seat and let your brain, your body do all the work. This week's guest, Latham Thomas, is a wellness and birth coach and doula and founder of maternity brand Mama Glow. She's also the author of a book by the same name, and she's pretty much on a mission to transform maternal wellness. Her practice provides support to women along the journey to motherhood from culinary services, nutrition, yoga, birth, coaching. She's kind of become the go-to guru for modern holistic living for women during pregnancy. And she serves as the maternity wellness expert on the advisory board at Yahoo Health, has been featured on Dr. Oz, Good Day New York, CBS News, Fast Company, Black Enterprise, Essence, Fit Pregnancy, and so much more. And I have actually known Latham for many, many, many years. We have our own backstory together. So I'm really excited to sit down with her and dive into her journey, actually, and focus not just on what she's up to today, but her really unusual background and training and exposure to the world of plants and plants as medicine at a very early age and not in a location that you would have thought it would have been sort of an organic thing to explore. Really excited to share this conversation. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. 
luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So she took the kids across country and rolled them into school and just had this life like in California. She drove by herself across country with her three kids and then was like, I'm moving to Cali. And did it. And then so all of us were then born in California. Have you ever talked to her about that journey or or to your mom? I did. You know, I talked to my grandmother because she really is great about telling stories, as is my grandfather. And she is just such a... um, She's one of those people even now in her 80s that, like, she'll fly to New York, won't even see her. She'll, like, shower, change, be on the subway, run around. So for her, it was more, when she tells a story, she tells it like it was an adventure, but it was almost also one where she um, she has something to prove, you know? Yeah. And she actually did well. Like, she was established once she got here, found a place to work, put the kids in school, like, was really committed to this new life. But she's always been like that, like very, like could do anything. She would make her own clothing with sewing machines. She cooked really well. So um, she always had this like know-how, which I think that um, she definitely passed down to um, Yeah, I'm thinking I see, the generations. Shade, I see shades of that in <laughs> yeah. you, like big time. It's like, yeah. you know, um, do you feel that also? Yeah, I think that, you know, just there was something about the way that we gathered that allowed the younger generations to almost through like osmosis mm-hmm. connect with some of that ancestral energy. So we'd be in the kitchen and watching her cook and not necessarily completely taking note of what was happening, but then knowing how to cook later. So she has this thing um, where we could all, a bunch of us have this, like we go into a restaurant, taste something and be like, okay, I'm gonna make that when I go home. And we can just do it. Mm-hmm. Like we just know how to I don't know, like it's a little bit of this plus that and figure it out. So my grandmother has that. My mom has that. I have that. But it was really like being in the kitchen, sitting on the counter, listening to adult conversation, watching how they sort of moved and used food as medicine and food as nurturing and connective for family that I kind of started to have the rudiments of what would become like a real interest in nutrition and health and how that sort of would frame our context for well-being as well as for, um, you know, like looking at like the larger public health landscape, right? Yeah. So um, that definitely started in the kitchen. Yeah, I mean, I love also that, and I think this has become so rare these days, I'm curious what you think about this, the fact that you have three generations who are kind of like right there. Yeah. And not necessarily living in the same house, but sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, everyone stays close. Yeah. And I think we're really moving away from that, you know, that, yeah. you know, and I wonder what we're losing from that because it's like you said, it's not the, hey, let's make an appointment and go have lunch. It's just kind of like the, the just always being around the daily sort mm-hmm. of osmosis yeah. that happens. Um Yeah, I really feel like we're losing a lot of that these days. We are. And I think that um, there's like a sort of anti-social social culture Hmm. that is um, emerging that is more like this whole idea of like forced self-reliance of like, um, you know, this independence that's awkward like these things that like we're trying to like fit into these boxes like as behaviors that are just like anti-biological like it's like we're supposed to like depend on people we're supposed to like 
share with people. I mean, we convened and gathered because our lives depended upon it. Because, like, if you were by yourself, you would get eaten by a mammoth or Mm -hmm. something. So it's like you're not meant to be, like, by yourself in isolation. And I think that when we're – even if, you know, like, sometimes I don't want to go home and be like, oh, God, I have to be immersed with, like – so many relatives at once that I haven't seen and tell the same stories about what's going on in my life. But then when I get there, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so happy. And I'm like, well, why is that that, like, we get even a little bit nervous about just gathering? It's because I think, like, we're in these cities where we're super independent, super focused on, like, achieving goals or whatever it is what we're focused on. And then when it comes to, like, connecting, we're really... It's really on our terms and it's really like um, limited to like text messaging, voicemail, like whatever it is. Not even voicemail really hardly. We hear people's voices, right? Barely anymore. Barely. It's all, so much is turning to text. I think we so lose much so text. much. Um, I mean, people are hearing your voice right now, but like how many voices do they really probably but, hear throughout the day? Let's zoom back into you though. And okay. You came up in Oakland um, mm-hmm. it, having this sort of bucolic nature-based education in Oakland, California, which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. At some point, you you headed to Brazil, right? I went to Brazil in when I was like 18. What what um, made that happen? What was that well, about? Well, I was studying capoeira at the time yeah. and um, was really fascinated, again, with like, what's the landscape like there? What are the plants like there? What are the people like there? And I spent, I guess, like some summertime and then holidays and then um, I was in college. I spent a year over there. No, m- nearly a year abroad because it was like um, part of my junior semester. And then I guess like the summer and yeah. then came back. And so this was like because you went to Columbia. I did go to Columbia. Right. Yeah. So that was a part of like. Yeah. Part, part of, of getting away. Uh-huh. I did that okay. too, um, which was awesome. Went to Cuba right before I did the Brazil trip as well. And um, similar thing, like kind of doing murals and like plant stuff and looking at how they grew, you know, their their food there. Also how they um, ran their medical system and, and medicinal plants and stuff um, in Cuba. But yeah, like I was always like, usually it's like the plant thing and like people and that intersection would always bring me to places and I love hot weather so and beaches. So it's like... Right, it's like if plants, medicine, people, beaches, beaches sun. Boom, sun, done. Like done. Whereas like, here's my passport number. Um, so that kind of was the impetus for that. And, and culture, really, because I was into the mixed martial arts and, and capoeira. And so that was really awesome dancing. And so that was great. But before that, I was in, in uh, Colorado. I went to boarding school in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting because I was, I mean, our kids are the age that I was in high school, like, alone as a nah. kid, as a transplant from California, living what, in Colorado. Was that your, did you want to go or was it just you know, kind of like, this is a thing you're doing? No, it was, so my mom had always had this, like, vision of, like, you know, you need to expand your horizons. Like, she was always one of these people who... As much as she likes, as much as she's like a control freak, she also had this idea that the way for us to grow was to like be in these spaces where there was like, like that that the container was big enough for us to grow. So she felt like um, in California that the schools available to us, even though there was like there was a path that everyone went to like, you know, Catholic school or private school. And there was like these very um, well 
um, respected Catholic high schools that people went to and your path was then to go to a local college. And so she was like, that's not like your path. And she was just really convinced. And I didn't see that. I was like, no, I want to go where everybody else is going. All my friends are going here. She's like, no. So um, I applied to this school, this independent boarding school in Colorado Springs, which my mom's idea was um, to to, uh, join this organization called A Better Chance. It's still around. It's um, across the country. They have um, basically a network of independent day schools and boarding schools where they take children of color and I think that's mainly their thing is like to help you find you make an application they help you find the right fit for you whether it's a day school or boarding school so I wasn't currently enrolled in their program but I was getting like you know mail and Mm -hmm. so we had this postcard that came like oh there's a school and they're doing this merit scholarship exam for kids in Northern California mom's like you're taking the test and I was like what I was Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to Colorado you're going. You're going to take the test. So I do the test. Then uh, she's like, you should go to see the school. So my dad and I go. I go with uh, Chuck Taylor Converse canvas shoes in the snow. And <laughs> I get off the plane. That's not a good match. <laughs> right? I don't even have, like, I think, you know, the times I went to snow was like in Tahoe. Like, I don't have clothes for the snow. So I was like, Dad, it's freezing. It was probably like, you know. 55 or 40 something but not like freezing but i'm freezing of course so we go i have a fantastic time i get back and my mom's like how come you didn't tell me you're one of the finalists i was like i didn't know they didn't say anything to me Mm. then we get a call that i'm the merit scholarship recipient and that my mom would basically be able to send me for four years just paying like my books and my uh travel like to and from school and so she was like you're going. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I loved it there. I want to go. So it was more just like at first it was her idea. And I bought into the idea once I actually got to see the place. And I felt really comfortable. It was like a family. I mean, again, I was 14. But um, it was amazing. And um, I did a lot of things outdoors that I could never do in California. I had so much access to 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 nature even just like on the prairie where the school was located there was cows and there was horses i rode horses i did ice climbing i did bouldering um mountain climbing i skied terribly i did like everything you could possibly do outside and i loved that and i love her for pushing me in that direction because i wouldn't have chosen that for myself and i think it's so important for us to have people in our lives that can like see things that we can't yet see for ourselves and believe in what we can't see because then when we sort of step into that leadership aspect of our own lives, then we start to frame ideas and ideology and concepts that people buy into that they can't yet see that we then put into action when we get people behind us. And so she was probably one of the first people to really, as, as a mother should be, to really, I think, solidify for me that these kind of things are really possible if you just if you just believe in somebody if you just like just lift them a little yeah. bit and she's know? also sort of like validating um validating being uncomfortable as it's like hey listen you may not this this may make you nervous this is t- maybe totally different and you're doing it and you're going. <laughs> um, yeah and like, which i think is such a it's a 
we're, I think as parents so often we're like our, our primary concern is safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that sometimes I wonder if that makes us create, um, almost not give our kids room to go out there and do things where they may fail and they may right. feel pain and because mm-hmm. we don't want them to feel it. Right. So I think as a parent to do that and say, look, you, <laughs> this may not be fun for you. This may be really uncomfortable and it may not work in the end, but you're doing it mm-hmm. um, or really encouraging that, you know, that's a, what a great thing to model mm-hmm. um, at a young age for, you know, for your mom to you. And I think I, that I really feel like that's part of what we like when you experience that either through parents or like pushing that or you figuring out in your own life. And then when you turn around and become a parent, you can remember that. I mean, I know I catch myself all the time. I'm like, okay, it just breathe and, you know, like mm-hmm. let her do what she needs to do in the world. And it may work and it may not work. Mm-hmm. And it may bring joy. It may bring pain, but it's going to um, be an experience that somehow, you know, like informs growth yeah. in some way. And um, I think we hold ourselves back from that. And I think we hold sometimes as parents hold our kids back from that because of our own stuff. Totally. Um. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good Life Project is brought to you by LinkedIn Ads. So have you ever felt the challenge of reaching a key decision maker in the B2B world? Imagine connecting with a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders. Well, LinkedIn Ads provides precision targeting and measurement tools tailored for B2B marketers, outperforming other platforms with two to five times higher ROAS in technology. Plus, 79% of B2B content marketers vouch for LinkedIn Ads' exceptional paid media results. What sets LinkedIn Ads apart is their understanding of the complex B2B landscape. They have built a platform to support you through intricate decision-making processes. I've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times to help grow our work-focused venture, Spark Endeavors, and I've been seriously impressed by the performance. So if you're ready to elevate your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
Good Life Project is supported by Dell. So seasons change. So why not your tech? Upgrade now during the Dell Technologies Summer Sale event and save on select PCs like the XPS 16 powered by Intel Core processors. You'll be able to bring your most intensive project to life with built-in AI, minimalistic design, immersive visuals, and cinematic audio. Plus, complete your dream setup with deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop at dell.com deals, you'll have access to exceptional tech and electronics, plus free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time, only at dell.com deals. That's dell.com deals, or just click the link in the show notes. So... That sounds like an incredible experience, and then and then you end up moving on, um, going to Colombia, and then spending some time in Brazil, yeah. and the whole time there's like this, the, and this is funny because I didn't know this about you. There's the thread, the thread between nature and plants mm-hmm. and sort of healing, has been there since you were a kid, and you just kept like bouncing around, and experiencing it in different ways. Yeah. What did you, what did you actually study in Colombia? Visual arts, environmental science. So it was like not an art school, but I definitely yeah. I'm thinking like that. Columbia's an interesting place to go art. for that. Yeah. No, for their graduate school, right. um, you know, arts are, are a huge deal. So I did have access to like really great studios and amazing faculty, but environmental science as well. It's like this is not a school that's located like in the best place to be studying, you know, plant systems. Right. <laughs> so, um, but it worked, and you know, I did a lot with. Uh, there was an organization that we pulled together called Urban Roots, and we brought the outdoors indoors for kids and then took them out in nature. And it was, like, weird now that I think about it. Like, we had vans, and we were driving kids upstate. I don't drive, but there was other, like, college kids driving kids. I was like, man, like, we did a lot of stuff that, like, now would never have been <laughs> it's like, done. or sketchy. Suit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're taking these kids someplace, like, with no permission slips and stuff. Um, but uh, it was awesome. And from there, it was, like, working with the Brooklyn Center for the Urban Environment and the Audubon Center writing, you know, um, curriculum and stuff for, for early childhood education because I was, like, very keen on making sure that kids had – this like sense of wonder when it came to the environment and also sort of like a visceral connection because I believe that like if we don't sort of in the beginning foster this sense of um, heart connection with like whatever is outside of us, then we don't protect it. So um, I feel that when people allow their dog to like, you know, poop on medicine and not pick it up or um, you know, cause I see like medicine everywhere when I walk down the street, like, like weeds are really medicine. Um, anything that could grow through concrete, um, imagine what it could do to heal your body. Right. So like most weeds like have medicinal property. I see like, you know, kids littering or just adults even doing that. It's like, wow, like we're in a place where people have like no idea because they're just seeing concrete. They're not even seeing these plants that are like struggling to live or, you know, they're not exposed. They don't know what these things could do for us. So I feel like if kids learn really early how something grows, you know, the life cycles, if they understand like the importance of like all the living creatures, microorganisms, and like the beautiful things that we get to see, which we don't see enough of like butterflies and things like that, they can understand. Then I think they have this connection where it's like, no, 
we cannot let this happen. We have to protect. We have to and do all the little things that they can, like tiny right actions daily, and then also influence their parents and communities. So that was sort of like what the idea was behind writing the curriculum was really to get kids to, you know, develop these habits on an early, earlier on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, um, when you got out of school, what did you want to do? Like, where do you, where do you go with that? So this is what's really funny. Um, so after I got out of school, it was like, I was only, um, I don't know, like a year, not even like really a year out of school. And I had met my son's father and we were going to connect on something art related. And then, and I ended up becoming pregnant with my son really early in the relationship. We were still getting to know each other. We knew each other as like friends and stuff, but like not romantically. And so um, at the time I was still working like more on a consultant basis with the Brooklyn Center for the Urban Environment and teaching early childhood education and bringing the outdoors indoors and working in like the city parks, bringing like school groups. What was interesting though was... uh, that I look back when people were like, well, when did that thing start with you around women, women's health and babies and birth? Um, When I was young, my aunt, my mom, and my great aunt were all pregnant at the same time, all of them at the same time. And they had babies March, April, May, like back to back. And so I was surrounded by these women who were just like larger than life. I'm like four years old. And I'm just seeing big bellies and hearing conversation. And I just remember them saying really positive things. I remember my mom showing me um, a cartoon called My Mom's Having a Baby. I still remember the jingle from it. And I remember her really speaking about everything like anatomically and the baby's in my uterus. It's going to come out of my vagina. This is what's going to go down. And I would tell people at the grocery store, like, I'm having a baby sister and she's going to come out of my mom's vagina. And she's in my mom's uterus. And people were like... (laughs) Okay. She just talked about it in such a normal way. It wasn't like this weird thing. And storks weren't carrying the babies. It was like, this is what it is. This is what my body does. This is what our bodies do. And so my cousin and I, who was, she was maybe 19 months older. So she was like five, five and a half. And we were watching this sort of dramatic play outside of being out, you know, out with, you know, in the, the foothills and stuff. Our dramatic play was now sort of governed by this experience of everyone being pregnant. So we'd put our Cabbage Patch dolls and we would roll them up under our shirts and then we would take turns delivering each other's babies. And so I remember that and I, I reminded her a few months ago. I was like, do you remember when we used to do that? She's like, oh my God, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but my mom was the one who reminded me too. She was like, you know, you used to always be like this. You used to always be into the plants and then the babies. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So that was like really the rudiments, I think, of Mama Glow. I think it was like ignited at a very early age. And so the baby thing was one thing. I think the plant systems and like life cycles, all of it just folded into one. And for me, it was not, not, none of it was different than the other. Like the life cycles that was studying of plants and plant systems, I just like overlaid that onto the human body. And I was like, okay, well, it's just going to unfold. Like I don't have to do anything. It's just going to, it's just going to unfold on its own. And so I kind of applied the principles from what I noticed plants do. They just sort of yield and there's grace and there's no like fighting. There's no like, I'm not going to bloom. You know, I'm not going to, 
it's like I'm not going to shed my leaves. Like there's not this. It's just like, okay, it's time. And every phase has its time. And there's no resistance in time in the in the timing and in the timeline or this sense of like not getting enough of something or I don't have my shine or there's no ego. It's just like I'm a flower and this is what I do. Now it's time to fruit. Yeah. And this is what I do, right? Now so, it's time to eat. You know, you know, and and then be processed through someone's body. So um I don't know. I think I just was very attuned to that. Yeah. I love that concept of just almost finding flow within that um, and having no resistance to the timeline. At the same time, this this wasn't part of your plan. Yeah. You know, like at the time of, just in the time of your life. No. And you're somebody who's you know, fiercely bright, fiercely driven mm-hmm. um, and out there to do big things. So I'm curious just sort of how emotionally in the context of your life you process, huh, like where do I go from here? What do I, like, how is this going to affect the way that I build my life? Yeah, well, it's interesting because my son's father was like 10 years older. So he was definitely at the time in his life where he was ready to have a family. Mm -hmm. And when we came together, it was like, for me, I was still in like this really young, budding, like figuring out the world phase of my life. And so I was not looking to have a baby but it was like um you know i always say there's something there's a difference between like unplanned and unwanted right Mm. and so it was definitely unplanned like there wasn't any real thought about like here's how we're going to do this and this is what's going to be and this is you know how we want to do it it was like this is happening now as a result of actions that we've taken and so now it's like like you said, how do we build around it? And so for me, it was like always, it was never an issue of like whether or not I would have a child. It was, I did think that I would have a child young. I didn't think I would have a child as young as 23, but I knew that I would be like growing in some ways with my child. So I figured like I would have a child before 30. I just didn't know when. And so I was like, okay, this is what's happening. I would talk to the baby a lot. And I remember being like, you know, I don't know that I'm ready, but if you feel that I'm ready, then we'll, we're just going to do this, mm. you know? And so I, mean, I said, I'm trying to lens. ready myself. Yeah. And I just tell them every day, I'm trying to ready myself. So thank God it's 40 weeks that I get to figure this out. And I was just doing all this stuff to like, you know, enrich myself and enjoy the time. There was no plan for how to fit into, I just was like, I'll just figure it out. And I think that um, as I thought about it, I didn't know what the possibilities would be, like how it would unfold. We did discuss that I would um, stay with the baby and and he would sort of be the person that would go out and work. And I was completely fine with that because I really felt like the type of mother I wanted to be was super hands-on and I wanted to be in total connection with the baby like as much as possible. So I did that when he was born and I was so grateful for that. And I think like, I mean, literally when I look back on it, it was like winging it. It's just like yeah. winging it. You just <clears throat> figure it out, I guess, you know? And I think that's, that's the way it is for everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's no real, as much as you, you can read as much as you want, but oh my God, <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day, it's like, nah, you just got to live it. <laughs> yeah. It's like signing up for a course, yeah. like midterm and then playing catch up. Right. Like that's, I mean, you're literally just like 
trying to figure your way through. Yeah. Um, and you, but I think at a certain point you get a handle on it. And I think really the blessing of having that time to grow with the pregnancy in, in spirit, I mean, obviously in flesh you're growing, but in spirit you catch up to where, um, where you're meant to be in, in sort of like internalizing the process and being able to show up in the way you're meant to as a mother. And a lot of things come up for you emotionally, which are meant to um, be dealt with before you become somebody's mom. I think that all of that is just such a gift. And so a lot of what I talk about with moms now is like, you know, to help them map it before if they have the privilege of planning it. But if it's not that you, you just find out and it's like, okay, great. Like then there's all kinds of ways that we can approach this in a, a mindful way and in a, um, in a holistic way, or just even in a way that like, it's not happening to us, but it's happening through us. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That we're like more in control by like surrendering and like letting it be what it's supposed to be. And I think that we have the opposite way of like moving through life and pregnancy really it's like forces you to be a different way. And so you have to kind of almost like part of you dissolves because you're becoming something that you weren't before. And then you emerge from that experience on the other side, you cross this threshold and you have something that you didn't have when you started and you're somebody completely new. And there's this like total dissolve of the ego and you become, you have to either struggle with that or you just, right away it's like oh cool here i am but sometimes you have to find your feet and i think that which we don't talk about in our culture like that like reemergence of like who am i now and like this and where am i and how do i like now find my way back and where is back like where am i trying to find my way back to i think that that's really not discussed in our culture as much as it should be with like helping people find their way like families but particularly moms like finding their way um once the baby arrives and so i felt really fortunate in that we had planned towards me having space and not feeling pressure to go back to work not feeling pressure to birth a certain way like i had a natural birth and it was in the place that i wanted in this birth center and it was seven blocks from where we lived and I birthed with the midwife that I wanted and it was amazing, but it was like, it was so like everything was really on my terms, right? Like the, it was very calm and um, it was great to have my mom come to town and, and help. And just like those things, like you talked about before, like having people step in and like, like swaddle you with that love that you need right after you do something that's like terrifying or that's like exhilarating and then just like holding you close, you know, and you're like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, okay, everywhere I look, I'm like safe, right? Um, I think we need those things. Um, we need to create spaces like that for people, whether it's having a baby, whether it's like you are going to write a book or a screenplay or launch a new business. Like people feel like they're in these silos. They're like by themselves, like doing these things that are really like, terrifying or really uh, challenging or take so much of their energy and make them so vulnerable. And then they're meant to then go out in the world and act like everything's okay when they're like putting so much of their soul into something and they don't have anybody to lean upon. And I think it goes back to what you said about just what are we losing when we don't have 
community, whether it's like family or family that you've created nearby, I think that in life transition, we really need that. And that's why I hope that like for our children, that one of the things that we can instill in them is like that relationships, healthy relationships, and this, this sense of like emotional intelligence is really like well-rooted in them when they go out and start their own families. The thing that really resonates with me is this idea, and I so agree with you that we all have these moments of intense transition and birthing, mm-hmm. you know, and it may be a child, it may be the next season of your life, it may be just change, which is, um, which drops into your life, which is not really wanted. There yeah. may be disease, it may be, Divorce. you know, these profound changes, mm-hmm. and and it's sort of like culturally, you know, the, the we're kind of taught to buck up. You know, like soldier on and keep doing everything that you're doing, you know, and because distract yourself as much as possible from this. And whether it's good or whether, you know, whether this thing holds positive potential or negative potential or very often it's it's always a blend. You know, we're kind of we never create the space to actually just say, okay, I'm in a season. You know, it may it may last a week, it may last 40 weeks, it may last a couple of years. This may be a season of my life that takes a while. What would it look like to just be with that, to like mm-hmm. make that the center of everything mm-hmm. and allow other things to take second or third or fourth mm-hmm. and then really just kind of be, let that, let that, you know, like um, define whatever amount of your day in your life it needs to define for the moment that it needs to find it. Like what would it, what would it be like? And mm-hmm. I don't think we ask the question that say, if I allow that to happen, how might I reconstruct the way that I approach each day right now, the way that I live my life, um, yeah. in order to, to support that, um, and to bring people and experiences into my life that would allow me sort of like to support that? And I wonder, because this is, a, this is so much of what you now do professionally, mm. like you support. I wonder how much of that is just that we don't believe it's possible so I guess that's maybe that's that's my question for you because yeah. you're you're the you know you are the person who's like you've you've built your life around helping women do this largely mm-hmm. um, and be there for them and help them navigate these questions. What's what's your sense of of that like of a willingness to go there and to the extent that we don't allow ourselves to go there? Like, what do you think is stopping us? Mm, That's such a beautiful question, and I love the way you just pulled all of that together. I think the approach that I take, and I feel like we are very similar in this, like for parenting and life, and is that um, it's sort of like a watch and see. And so most people are going to show up to situations like, okay, and they have like planned how it's going to go, and this is what they're going to do, and this is what they're going to say, and and then there's like the actual, you know, practice. The reality on the ground. Right? Like, yeah. when you it's get like, there, it's whoa. like, holy, you know, what's going on? Then there's this whole, like, okay, so then how do we approach what's actually happening here in this moment? And so I think it's like, you know, we have everything we need. Like, there's, like, the skill set is there, but there's, like, an, there's like an unwillingness, I feel like, to participate in listening, and it's not just like hearing what's going on, but like hearing what's going on in your, like your heart becomes like 
your ear, mm-hmm. really. And so it's like this generous listening that's required, requ- like all of you has to show up for that, right? So you cannot be divided on your cell phone or doing, you ca- You have to just be there and immerse yourself in, and actually almost be in that person's shoes to be able to anticipate their needs. And so that's what I find most when people are like, well, what is it that like you do in the moment? And I, you know, so a lot of people, um, one of my clients say, oh, she's like a producer for your birth. I think a producer anticipates what's next. Like, oh, they can see this is coming and that got messed up. Let me fix that. Like they can do all these things, right, to make sure that the entirety of the experience is one that people remember in a certain way. And so I really want to make sure that I don't construct something, but that I um, hold space for something that'll be remembered in the way that this person would like, but also that when I show up that I'm not putting what I want to happen into play, but more like ask, well, what does this situation call for and what's the best outcome for all that are here? And in this exact moment, what do we need? And responding like that. And so I think that that takes like sensitivity. It takes, uh, you know, you have to be constantly sort of thinking about what's next, but not necessarily in a way where you're distracted, but being able to like have right at your fingertips, like the solution to something and be able to do it with grace, you know? And, and I think it's like a, it's like when we talk about delivering a baby or delivering, I feel like, you know, the mother gives birth, but we deliver, like we bring safely the outcome to unfold. We as the child, you know, the the doctor or, or midwife, the child provider of nurses, the doulas, whoever, like we actually deliver an experience. And so, so I think that for me, like that's my sort of vantage point to come from this space of like generous listening and just like dropping into presence as soon as I get there. So coming without all of this stuff going on that's in my life, stripping that off, like cleansing, whether that's like having a meditative moment in the taxi or how I'm, however, or like in the hall before I come in, like making that that I come like without all this stuff going on to answer the question around like this possibility. I also do that because I think that I have to then build up in people sometimes this belief in themselves. I have to almost construct for somebody what that looks like because they might be coming from a past that was riddled with miscarriage or with abuse or with, you know, maybe other birth outcomes that weren't as positive as the one that they're hoping for, or maybe having had so many things in their immediate sort of social network that these stories have tainted what they think is possible, or just like living in the world and seeing how birth is projected and um, and how women's bodies are perceived, right? So it's like, well, how is this even possible that I can do this, right? So I have to start like with all of that, like sort of against, right? And then go back to like the science and then go back to the, you know, spiritual and then go back to the um, 
sacred and like fuse all of that and speak to people in a way that they recall they have this sort of recollection of really what they're capable of on like a cellular level like not just like oh you can do it rah 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 but like really reminding them and teaching too but it's like really a remembrance because these are things that we know like ancestral wisdom really kicks in when you're in birth and I think one of the things that's like not really talked about, which I love to educate people in that work with me, but also people in this space, um, that to move into a place where you can, where you have like labor sort of progressing, we actually move out of like a beta brainwave state into alpha. So we get out of like where you and I are having this conversation and people who are listening you're listening to us, which you're also thinking about your dry cleaning and you're sitting in traffic and it's like, oh my God, there's all this stuff going on. But at the same time, you're fully listening. We have your full attention, right? Then all of a sudden the brain waves at that point are like really erratic and, you know, and hard to sort of chart. But then you sort of ascend into like a flickering state of consciousness, which is um, alpha waves and they're more organized and there's a pattern and they're slower moving. And um, in that state, when you're in there, it's like, you could be doodling or daydreaming. You could be, um, you know, sort of almost sleep and then you kind of wake up and realize where you are. Or um, you could be in a moment of intimacy or arousal. Um, you could also be giving birth. And that's the state you have to be in for your body to go into um, a trance-like state to be able to do what this primal process and primal template is been unfolded for us, which is um, every mammal has this capability, but like there's all these impediments to being able to like access this in a hospital setting sometimes or in, you know, just like with our own, you know, um, our own crazy thoughts that like, you know, we, we hold on to that keep us from being able to like enter a state of like elevated consciousness and that's what's required for us to give birth so i'm constantly trying to protect the space that a woman is in so that she can get into her inner animal and be able to do what she doesn't actually have to know what to do because it'll turn on for her and she'll be able to do it if she can like get out of this like okay trying to control everything so really it goes back to like this idea of not trying to control but the control is really in the surrender. Like you actually have a full control of a process, if you think about it in this way, where it will unfold almost like textbook style if you just sit in the back seat and let your brain, your body do all the work mm. together. And if you can do that, and if you can stay in like an awareness state spiritually like that, I trust that this is all unfolding in the way it's meant and each wave of contractions or sensations, I'm closer to meeting my baby and this sensation is good, like this is for the better, you know, and then move your body in the way that feels, you know, good for you, then it will unfold in the way it's meant to because guess what? Like you're not going to be the first human to mess it up because this has been happening for millennia. So you're not like that special that you can mess up a process that's been you know, unfolding for forever. Like we're all like, that's what makes us all the same, right? So I think that if we can 
get back to just like the basics of honoring how people are born, like their birthdays are sacred. And um, it's two birthdays because the mother is born, the woman is born into motherhood and the baby is born into this world. And the way that we're doing it now, um, some of the births are like traumatic for both the mother and child. Um, Some of the births are really, um, you know, there's like, I know people who, are still sort of shuffling through life because of like how I would say part of the, the, the reason is because of like how they were born. And so I think that um, the, the care that we put and the attention that we put into palliative care and into end of life care um, is so important, but there's also an importance that needs to be and a protection that needs to be placed for mothers and babies, because this is the crux of community. This is how we're like entering into the world. And, a baby knows within like the first couple of hours of life whether or not the world is a safe place. And I don't think we're doing a good job if we look at what's happening today of making sure that babies grow into sensitive people that then, you know, treat the plants, animals, and other people around them with love. We're failing on a lot of aspects of that. We do see that there, there's a lot of work to be done in that place, I think. This story is presented by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA produced by ACAST Creative. 25 years ago, Invesco QQQ rethought the investing landscape by providing access to the NASDAQ's 100 most innovative companies all in one ETF. With Invesco QQQ, investors saw all the possibilities that innovation could deliver. Personally, I had a wake-up call in my 30s that led me to invest deeply in myself to unlock new possibilities. I walked away from a career as a lawyer, overhauled my lifestyle through mindset and exercise and nutrition, and completely reimagined my career. And it was unsettling at times, but that investment in my potential allowed me to live so much more creatively and with purpose and passion. Invesco is proud to sponsor the new Ways to Win podcast, hosted by longtime coaches and mentors, Craig Robinson and John Calipari. So in Ways to Win, the coaches use their on-court wisdom to solve for off-court problems and help you find a winning formula for success. In this clip from the show, we'll hear Craig share his advice for weighing a decision to switch from investment banking to full-time coaching. Let's take a listen. The advice that I would give somebody who's weighing a decision that is less risky or more risky, I always tell them to work back from what they're wanting to accomplish right? What the reward is, what's at the end and work back and try and set yourself up to get to where you want to get to. Because sometimes taking a risk is the right thing to do to get something that you want. And what I try and counsel people to do is not be afraid to take risks. Because if you set yourself up properly with a good education, a great network of friends, and you've got family behind you, you can usually weather most storms if things don't work out the way you thought they'd work out. So listen to Ways to Win wherever you get your podcasts to get more wisdom from Craig. Nobody knows what's ahead, but one thing's for certain. You can access tomorrow's innovation today with Invesco QQQ ETF. Let's rethink possibility. So thank you for listening to this special story brought to you in partnership with Invesco QQQ and produced by ACAS Creative. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more defined investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco is not affiliated with ACAS Creative. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah. I also, I love the, um, the, what you explained as there, it's actually two books happening at once. And I, I wonder if we don't acknowledge that enough that, um, yet we all see the birth of the child. Um, mm-hmm. yet that second birth of motherhood, mm-hmm. you know, and as you sort of described it, you evolve, you, it's, it's a different, you, it's the same person, but at the same time, you're sort of birthing a new you. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, I think um, we probably create the space for to nurture the baby to a certain extent. Sometimes mm-hmm. yes, sometimes no. But very rarely create the space for that second birth to actually really take root and emerge and develop um, in a way that's really nourished. And it sounds like that's so much of what you've now built your life around is helping, supporting women in that and acknowledging that that is important. That yeah. is there's, you know, creating space for ritual and for care and just for space to allow that to happen. So you've, you've now built your entire career essentially around this and you've built a company at the yeah. same time, Mama Glow. What was in your head when you, what was the thought process where you're thinking, okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out ways to, to really, to integrate the natural environment, um, to support women through this mm-hmm. incredible journey personally and now there's something bigger that i want to do here to start this company called mama go um Mm -hmm. what's behind that it's interesting because like my son's always like well i'm the reason you have mama glow (laughs) and it's true because i don't think that so on the one hand i think that i was at a precipice where there was not good information on the internet yet because internet hadn't really popped off the way it has in recent years. Two, I was in a place where I was like a transplant. I was in New York and I'm from California. And a lot of the principles that I was like living by, there were communities and pockets of uh, communities that like, I think believed these things, but hadn't fully emerged as like a movement, right? Like in California, um, where it was like a big thing since like, you know, the sixties and stuff. So then the third thing was that I think I had seen a need and it was exposed to this idea that there needs to be something here. And I think that soon as you're made aware that there's something that exists as a problem or as a, you know, something that should be addressed and you know that within you there's resources to address it, 
it's like this unrelenting nagging that you feel until you actually put pen to paper and address it and decide how you're going to tackle it. It's almost like God keeps knocking like, hey, you like, remember that thing that you're thinking about? It was like it keeps coming back or you get presented in different ways with that information about how you're supposed to, you know, fold it in. I think so many people think like when you're starting on this entrepreneurial journey, for instance, you must first start with the business plan and then do this and get an advisory board and, you know, whatever, and then try to raise money. And I just was like, I'm just going to go do this thing. I'm just going to like, you know, pull together these resources. Here's where my strengths are. Here's where my education lies. And then here's where I need to sort of buffer so that I can have the credibility to be able to help women in this way. And I'll tell my story and whatever. Right. So it was like, There was a lot of things that were on the table already that I had and there were things that I needed to get. And I got those things in terms of like the yoga certification, which obviously you know about. And then there was the nutrition work that I did with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And then the doula piece was very interesting. And so that was so funny because I was going to an ashram to teach a course. And when I went, I remember... It was my birthday when I w- when it was taking place, and there was this Vedic astrologer who sort of he did all the rituals and he would do a puja before every course and everything. And so it was my birthday, so he did this puja for me, and he said to me, "Come to my little hut." And I was like, "Okay, I'm kind of like halfway, not sure if this is like appropriate or not." Like I didn't like I was just like I'm just gonna go. So I go to his little hut, which was this tiny room where. Almost my shoulders were even touching the walls. Like you couldn't move. It was like a bathroom stall. It was so small, this little hut. And on the walls, there were like inscriptions. And um, he had like this banana leaf uh, sort of placemat almost that he had made. And there were all these sort of divination symbols and stuff on it. And so he had he started writing all this stuff down and he was looking at my palms and then he started to throw, uh, there was cowrie shells and there was all kinds of stuff going on. And he had some stones and stuff and he started to put them in formation and then he began to read to me what was the important numbers in my life as well as some other wisdom he had to share, much of which was coming through in very broken English that I couldn't understand. So I was like, oh God, this is like so awesome, but also like anticlimactic because I can't understand anything. So I'm like really struggling. Like I'm closing my eyes and like I have one ear towards him to really hear him as much as I could. And he gave me some numbers. And so I wrote all the numbers down and I still have this piece of paper at home. And uh, then he said to me, so you're supposed to mother the mother. And I was like, Oh, it's fascinating because he doesn't know anything about me, right? So I was like, well, I'm kind of doing that. Like I'm doing this thing and like we serve moms and, you know, pregnancy and this. And then he's like, yeah, but it's like, it's more. You're supposed to do it more, like deeper. And I said, deeper, okay. And I was like, well, and I'm like, all right. You know, like that's, that was like, okay, he couldn't have known about that. So that I, like, I'll give him that. So I said, okay, well, I'll take the numbers. I took the numbers, you know, then I eventually I came home and I was thinking about it like everywhere I went. I was like, okay, not, like I would see, I was like, oh, like, you know, really like hyper aware. And then I got back to New York and then I was just like back in my routine. I remember vaguely getting a 
application to apply for a doula fellowship. And um, you know how back in the day when you would get like these group emails, you thought it was spam. Mm-hmm. Somehow I opened this group email and I applied for this um, doula fellowship, which I don't even remember actually filling out the application, right? Like I don't consciously remember it. So I'm home and I remember one day I woke up in the morning and I'm going about my day. And then I eventually check email because it wasn't something that you checked at the beginning of your mornings back then. <laughs> and I eventually got around to email. And I remember I open it and, you know, it's doing this ping, you know, whatever, everything's coming up. And I look at the uh, email and I see you're accepted to this doula fellowship program. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I'm like, almost like what doula fellowship kind of, right? In my mind. And then I look at the date and I was like, oh. It was one of the dates that he gave me. And I was like, got it. Like, I'm supposed to add this in. And I was very resistant because I was like, oh, everyone was asking me from, you know, yoga to everywhere. Like, can you be my doula? Can you help me with my birth? And I was like, oh, like, I don't know that I could add this into my life. And I did. And when I did, Jonathan, it like transformed everything. And it was like the missing link to be able to support women in this way. It was already like, it's like I already inherently knew from the listening that I did as a child, like in Larkspur, California, amongst like medicinal plants, like being able to listen to the plants to know which ones to pick for medicine. Like that was inside of me already. So I could listen for what a woman needed when she was moving through these phases of, of childbirth. I, I knew I could do it. I was resistant though. And so that when I got that, I was like, okay, done. And I added that in, but it was one of those things where, again, we're so used to kind of mapping out our lives and then looking at things and saying, oh, this doesn't really fit in based on like what we think is possible and not necessarily making space for a little bit of the unknown to shine in when it needs to, to give you like an extra guidance to refine the path. Because sometimes you need that. Like sometimes you have everything great, but there's like something else that could take it over the top, but we don't make space for magic. And so I think that for me, the lesson was like making that space for magic, sitting with him made it very clear for me that I was supposed to add this in. I just had to listen and I listened and I took heed to the advice. And so I think that, uh, you know, much of it wasn't planned and mapped in the way that like people tell you to do if you go to business school. But um, I think as we know, like the business school of life is something where there's a lot of failures. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of, you know, like knocking your head against the wall, (laughs) but you sort of figure things out. And I think there's an agility and a, um, a pivoting that's really sort of, uh, beautiful that you're able to do when you're not attached so intently to like an outcome, but like really engaged in a process and knowing that, okay, I'm really focused on helping people. Like if that's what you're going to be doing at every step of the way, then I think you'll have impact and you just look to see how things work. And I think that that's what I've been just doing all these years is like figuring out what works. And then now we're finding, refining, refining. And so now you know, we're refining and seeing that there's other things that people need and making space to build around those needs. And so, but that comes from listening. And I think all of it really boils down to like, not necessarily planning for a particular thing without having done the market research or having, you know, proof of concept. And I think that now we have that. 
And so much of what, when I talk to entrepreneurs and they're like, okay, here's what I'm doing and this is what it looks like. I'm like, well, what did you test? Or what did you, so how do you know that this is what people need? It's more like, well, I want to do this. Not like, well, I'm trying to fill a void or I'm actually solving a problem. It's like sometimes it's a problem for someone, but they haven't looked at the lens of the people outside of themselves and actually talk to other people to see yeah. if they can meet that need. Yeah, there's a lot of ego attachment in the world of entrepreneurship. Um, oh, yeah. It's interesting. It feels like your becoming a doula was uh, – an important part of your entrepreneurial education um, because totally. the process has got so much crossover. Oh, you yeah. You know, when you're, um, you're, you're bringing different kinds of ba- babies into the world. <laughs> yeah. But it's really interesting. I bet if you sort of said, okay, like, what are the, you know, what are the core things that I've learned, like the most important lessons about um, being a doula? And then you said, okay, so if I broaden that, you know, like, would it apply to actually building a business, um, I, I bet there's a huge amount of crossover there. So <laughs> yeah. much. So maybe entrepreneurs or spying entrepreneurs should all go and learn how to study to be do less. They should. <laughs> there's so many applicable um, that's funny. <laughs> um, so I want to come full circle with you. Um, so the name of this is Good Life Project. So I, if I offer the term out to you, to the phrase, to live a good life, what comes up? What does it mean? <sighs> you know, Jonathan, even just saying that, good life, living the good life you know even saying those words make you feel lighter like give a sense of levity but i think living a good life i think is really just being attuned to your surroundings to the point where you see the beauty in all things having freedom and what i mean by that is not an illusion, right, that you're free, but really like walking and feeling levity in the choices that you make, in the people that you surround yourself with, not feeling like tethered to the ground unless you want to be on the ground. And I think it's just loving. I think it's about really... um Diving deep with your passions. I know people talk about this a lot and it's a big, like passions are a big buzzword or whatever, but it's like we're all sent here as we know with our children and stuff. They come here, they're born on mission and we often take them off course and then they have to spend their whole lives finding their way back either through therapy or (laughs) whatever ways they find their way back. But we're all here on mission. And so it's like, well, Am I staying with that or am I like veering off and like getting lost again? I think like living the good life is if you're attuned to that mission, then like God keeps like folding things in that are that just make it better. It's like keeps putting layers of pancakes, you know what I mean? And syrup. It's like it's awesome, I think. So um, I think it's about that. I think it's just, you know, enjoying the journey but making a journey that's one of your choice and how you do that, I think is really just by, it goes back to an, again, another cliche that we say all the time of like living your truth. And if you're constantly filtering like what belongs and what doesn't belong so that you can keep steadfast and feel when something comes into your force field, like that isn't, that's not it then it just keeps that pathway clear. And it's very 
you know, you can see really clearly where you're headed if you do that. And so I think it's like showing up every day to weed. And so you have to know, like, and be able to forecast, right, and anticipate for yourself, like, what doesn't belong. And so I think we do that when we start practicing that active listening that I was talking about. And to me, it's that, like, not vigilance, but diligence of how we live that provides us freedom and that really allows us to live this good life. There's almost these energetic boundaries in place from like these actions that we've been making that keep us on track. So part of that good life is tapping into like your own medicine too. Like, what is that for you? What is it that you need daily? What's your dose? And making sure that you, like you do everything else and like you make time for everything else that you fold that into your life. Because if you know listening to this podcast helps you feel fulfilled and it gets you through your day, then you need to turn that on when you get up in the morning. Or if it's prayer or if it's meditation or your yoga class, you need to make time for that. I know that for me, I feel most fulfilled and like I'm living my good life when I do all of those things, when I fold in my medicine, when I spend time with my son, when I do all the things that I've actually been working hard to create space for, then I feel like I'm living the good life. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If the stories and ideas in any way moved you, I would so appreciate if you would take just a few extra seconds for two quick things. One, If it's touched you in some way, if there's some idea or moment in the story or in the conversation that you really feel like you would share with somebody else, that it would make a difference in somebody else's life, take a moment and whatever app you're using, just share this episode with somebody who you think it'll make a difference for. Email it if that's the easiest thing, whatever is easiest for you. And then, of course, if you're compelled, subscribe so that you can stay a part of this continuing experience. My greatest hope with this podcast is not just to produce moments um, and share stories and ideas that impact one person listening, but to let it create a conversation, to let it serve as a catalyst for the elevation of all of us together, collectively, because that's how we rise. When stories and ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change happens. And I would love to invite you to participate on that level. Thank you so much as always for your intention, for your attention, for your heart. And um, I wish you only the best. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. And before I send you on your way, remember, support those who support us and who help make this show possible. This week, it's FreshBooks. Check out the link in the show notes or go to freshbooks.com slash Good life. And if you want to check out Todd Herman's 90 day year, his free online masterclass series, be sure to just click on the link in the show notes, really eye opening information. Mm-hmm.